Good morning. Would you pray with me, please? Precious living God, I, I am so grateful to you uh, for your word. Father, you have given your word that we may be encouraged, that we may be transformed, that we may mature in our faith. You have given your word and your word is powerful powerful enough to transform lives, powerful enough to change circumstances. Your word is powerful, Father. And I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would open your word to us now. I pray that you speak uh, through me, Father, to me even as I speak. I pray that you speak beyond me Father, as others are hearing what I have to say. My Father, be glorified as we open your holy scriptures. Be glorified and exalted in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning again, everyone. Uh, please open your Bibles. I would love for you to be able to uh, follow with me. Uh, we are looking at the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be in the very first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, having to do with the calling of four of Jesus' disciples. And by the way, please take notes if you feel like taking notes. In all of your bulletins, uh, there are, uh, at the very end of the bulletin, there's some blank pages uh, for you to take notes. And uh, as I prayed, uh, don't just take notes of what I say, even if that uh, helps you, uh, but always take notes also of what the Lord may be saying to you. He may be going beyond me and may be saying something to you that you may just, just one word. Sometimes it's just one word, one phrase. Later on, you'll elaborate on it. But if it's from the Lord, whatever word comes to you, uh, whatever phrase, just go ahead and write it down. Just write it down. If the Lord is speaking to you, He will later add to what He's saying to you. But uh, be attentive, be open, uh, open your ears, open your heart uh, to what the Lord may be saying to you. Last Sunday, and I think it's important uh, that I connect uh, last Sunday's sermon with this Sunday because they both have to do with the calling of the disciples. And last Sunday, we were looking at the Gospel of John. We looked at the, uh, the calling of the first six disciples uh, in John's Gospel. And, and I shared with you that there was a bit of a difference between the way the calling of the disciples appears in John and the way that it appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But I, I need to connect the two, and I'll show you why in a moment. But in last week's preaching or teaching, uh, looking at the Gospel of John, uh, we saw Jesus calling the first six disciples. And if you remember with me, John the Baptist was preaching in the area of the Jordan, down in Judea. He was preaching in the area of, of the Jordan River, and he, he was baptizing there. And every time that Jesus came 
near him, or every time he cast his eyes upon Jesus, he would immediately point to him and say, there, that is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That is the Lamb that God is providing. I am not worthy to be in his presence. That is the Lamb. And he repeats it at least three times in the first chapter of John or the, the second chapter of John. He repeats it constantly, bringing attention to who Jesus was. And as Jesus, after the second day of that testimony from John the Baptist, and as, as Jesus is walking away from the river, two of John's disciples begin to follow him. And they're following him a bit, and Jesus turns around and says, what do you want? And they say, Lord, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. And I told you last week, we don't know what happened that night. We know that it was late at night because the gospel tells us it was about the 10th hour. So darkness was, was coming in, okay? And so they must have stayed with Jesus, wherever it was that Jesus was staying. We're not told where Jesus was. We just know that by the next morning, these two disciples know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is the Lord that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God. By the next morning, whatever happened that night, whatever they talked about, whatever Jesus revealed to them, by the next morning they are convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what happens is that we know that one of those disciples that, that were converted that night, one of those disciples is Andrew. And Andrew runs and finds his brother Peter. We're not told how far Peter was from there, but we are told that he goes and runs and finds Peter and brings Peter to Jesus. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, I will change your name. You will no longer be Cephas. You will be called Petros or Peter, which means the stone or the rock. And I am assuming... Well, I'm not assuming this, but we believe that the second disciple that spent the night with Jesus was John. John, the gospel writer. And I'm going to assume that John also went and found his brother James and brought him to Jesus and said, you, you have to meet Jesus. This is the Messiah. I am convinced that Jesus is the Lord, the Son of the living God, and he may have brought his brother as well to meet Jesus. Then we are told that from that moment down by the River Jordan or, or somewhere near there, that Jesus decides to go to Galilee in the north. He's in Judea, so he decides to go to Galilee. And in going to Galilee, he meets this man named Philip. We are told that Philip is from Beth Bethany, the same city of Andrew and, and Peter. Okay? And he finds Philip, and in John's Gospel, Philip is the only person that Jesus personally invites to come and follow him. Everybody else is brought by somebody else. So he meets Philip, and he says to Philip, Come, follow me. 
And Philip starts following Jesus. But then Philip goes and finds his friend. He has a good friend that he wants to share his find with. And his name is Nathaniel. And he goes and finds Nathaniel and says to Nathaniel, Come, come, I need to introduce you to Jesus, the son of Joseph, the Messiah, the king of Israel. And Nathaniel says, What good can come out of Nazareth? I mean, Nathaniel is from Cana, which is very near, uh, a few miles from Nazareth, and probably are competing cities in a way like Burbank and Glendale, perhaps. Okay, and so Nathaniel says, what good can come out of Nazareth? But he still comes, brought by Philip, to meet Jesus. And Jesus says to him, I saw you under the fig tree. And whatever that means, Nathaniel immediately begins to confess that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah. How could Jesus have known what happened under the fig tree? Whatever that was, and we're not told what happened under the fig tree. We just know that as Jesus revealed that, Nathaniel is converted immediately and begins to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what we dealt with last week. Last week, we dealt with the calling of Jesus' first six disciples. Today, in the gospel, as we look at Mark, today we're in the area of Galilee by the Sea of Galilee. And you can see there in the screen the map of more or less the Sea of Galilee. That is in the northern part. Uh, Judea is in the south between Galilee and Judea is Samaria. And Jesus is now departed Judea, and he's now by the lake of Galilee or by the Sea of Galilee. Sometimes some Bibles will say the Sea of Tiberias, but it's the same sea. Okay? It's the Sea of Galilee. And we are told that Andrew and Peter are fishermen. They're somewhere in the shores, probably by Capernaum up in the north, because Peter had a home in Capernaum, so it is likely that they are fishing near to home, so they may be in the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. And Andrew and Peter are out on their boat fishing because they're fishermen. And Jesus comes by the shore, and Jesus says to Peter and to Andrew, who are probably close to shore, and he says to them, come and follow me. And immediately they leave their nets and they leave their boats and they leave their fishing trade and begin to follow Jesus. And then we are told that he goes a little farther from there and he meets another two brothers, John and James. And John's and James are probably in at the shore fixing their nets. Either they had been fishing and the net broke, or they're, fi or they're fi fixing the net so they're getting ready to go out. But they are there fixing their nets. They are with their father Zebedee, and they are with some fellow servant fishermen that work probably for their family. And Jesus approaches these two brothers and says to them, Come, follow me. And they immediately leave their father and the boat and the nets and everything and the fishing industry, and they begin to follow Jesus. I've always wondered 
what causes people to just leave everything and go following Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought, I mean, I know Jesus is the Son of God, and I know he has authority just to say, do this, and and they probably got it. But I've always wondered, it's as if I said to you today, leave your mother at home and just come and follow me. You may never see her again. Just come and follow me. And you leave your grandson and come and follow me. And you guys just say, okay, let's go. It just, something is not kind of working with me. But I always try and find, I always try and find the connection between, for example, how John presents the call of the disciples and how Matthew, Mark, and Luke presents it. And I don't think it's as dry as it appears. If I kind of connect John and and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, then Jesus has already met Peter and Andrew. They've already met by the Jordan River. Peter has already been convinced that Jesus is Messiah. Andrew is already being convinced by spending the night with him that he has found the Christ, the Son of the living God. They've already been convicted that Jesus is who he claims he is. John and James are already convicted that Jesus is the Son of God. They've already met once. Now they're meeting again and they're fishing by the lake so that when Jesus says, come and follow me, They already are convicted. They already know who Jesus is, and the call is not as dry as it appears if we just read it by itself. If they already have a relationship, if they already are convicted in their heart who Jesus is, when Jesus says, come, they know what they're doing. They know that what he's inviting them to do is something greater than fishing is something greater and more important than fishing. The call of Jesus is an invitation. It's an invitation that is attractive. They're being invited to do something and be part of something greater than the fishing industry. They're being invited to meaningfulness in their lives, to be part of a cause that is eternal. To be part of God's holy call and God's holy purpose on earth. And that's why you leave everything to go follow Jesus. Jesus is inviting them to meaningness, to, to, to having a life of significance, having a life that matters, having a life that goes beyond the grave, having a life that is eternal, having a life that leads people to heaven for all eternity and not just catching fish and selling them in the market. They recognize that Jesus' invitation, come and follow me, gives their life significance, gives their life's purpose, gives their life's meaning, and they are invited and they can't wait but leave everything to go and follow Jesus. Because his invitation is to be effective not only in their lives, but be effective in others' life for eternity. For eternity. They're giving their life 
their purpose to a much higher cost than catching fish, selling them in the market, paying their bills, and going fishing again, and catching fish, and selling them in the market, and paying bills. You know, like what we do every day? <laughs> They're being invited to a more significant life that has eternal repercussions. They're being invited to bring people into the kingdom of God that they may live forever and their sins be forgiven. They know that Jesus is. If they are convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, no wonder they leave everything to go and follow Jesus. I connect these things, and it makes sense to me. But before I even go into the calling of Peter and Andrew according to Mark, before I even go into that, I want us to focus first of all on the first two verses. It's very easy for us to immediately jump with Peter and, and Andrew and James and John. I want you to look with me because it's so important at the first two verses, verses 14 and 15. It says, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. One of the things I want you to notice is that the marker for Jesus leaving Judea to moving to Galilee is that John the Baptist is arrested. That John the Baptist is arrested, that tells Jesus that persecution is very real against the preaching of the kingdom of God, which is what he's preaching, and John preached before him. So the marker that tells Jesus that he needs to leave Judea, at least for now, is that John the Baptist is arrested. That is the cause why Jesus leaves Judea and moves to Galilee. But the second thing is that Jesus begins to preach in Galilee the, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And now I ask you to consider what does it mean to be in the kingdom of God. What is Jesus preaching about the kingdom of God? What is it about? What is Jesus preaching? Why did he come to preach the kingdom of God? Folks, don't complicate what it means to be in the kingdom of God. The simplicity of the kingdom of God is that to be in the kingdom of God is to live under the rule of God. To be in the kingdom of God is to live in submission to the word of God. To be in submission to the guidance of God. To be in submission to the commandments of God. To be in the kingdom of God is to be in relationship with the king of the universe, the creator of all things, and you're being invited. And Jesus is preaching that the kingdom of God is not at the end of your life, that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is now, and I can help you enter the kingdom. I am the king. I am the son of the living God. And I have come to lead you into the kingdom. That is what Jesus is preaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
The kingdom of God is now. You can enter the kingdom of the living God and live under the rule of God by the power of God, by the blessing of God, by the protection of God, by the guidance of God, in relationship with God. God is not somewhere in heaven waiting for you one day to be good enough to get there. The kingdom of God has come to you. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is within reach. The kingdom is in the person of Jesus. And the invitation is that you will reach out your hand and grab the kingdom. And the kingdom will be in your heart. And the kingdom will be around you. And the kingdom will be with you. And the kingdom will be in you. Jesus is preaching that the kingdom of the living God, the rule of God has come. And you and I are being invited into that presence, into that relationship. And I, for those of you who are reading through Mark, I want you to notice that Jesus begins to preach the kingdom of God, and then he manifests the presence of the kingdom by casting out demons, by healing all kinds of diseases, by setting people free, by confronting error, whether it's from the Pharisees or the Sadducees or anyone. He manifests the presence of the kingdom by acts of power and miracles and, and not just casting out demons, but calming the sea and feeding 5,000 and feeding 4,000. Those are manifestations that the kingdom of God had come into the world. And these disciples were being invited to be part of the work of the kingdom. Jesus is preaching in Galilee that the kingdom, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God was at hand. The kingdom of God, not of man. The kingdom of God was within reach. The door is open now. But the other thing I want you to notice is that Jesus is not just preaching the kingdom, but he's telling us how we enter the kingdom. He says you have to repent and believe in the gospel. I want to teach you this from this short passage we read today in the gospel. This is for everybody. Jesus is preaching this all over Galilee to everyone. Everyone, the only way into the kingdom is through the acknowledgement that we have failed God, that we have missed the mark, that we have been disobedient, by our own wills, by choosing what is not of God. And that the way into the kingdom that he's preaching is through repentance, acknowledgement of our sins, confession of our sins, repentance of our sins, and believing in the gospel. What is the gospel? That God so loved the world that he gave his son. Believing in the gospel is believing in Jesus Christ. How do you enter the kingdom? Through repentance and belief and faith in Jesus Christ. When you have those two things, the kingdom of God embraces you. That message is for everybody. And then he calls specific people. I want you to notice that. That's important to me. That preaching is for everybody. 
Everyone, everyone around Galilee needed to hear and respond to that message. But then he calls Peter, and then he calls Andrew, and then he calls specific people to come and follow him so that they can be the preachers of that message. That message is for everyone. But then he calls individuals. Then he calls people to come and be part of what God is doing. And he calls these four uh, to leave everything. To leave everything. Including their jobs and their families. And to come and follow him. Because what he's going to do is he's going to have a change of careers. He's going to have a change of careers for them. From fishing fish to catching men and women and children. A change in career. He would transform them from the self-gain purpose that most of us have in the sense that we have to make a living and we have to pay our bills. And so our focus sometimes is so earthly bound that we forget that we have a calling that is much more meaningful and much more significant than just working every day and paying our bills. That the calling of God to those who would follow him is much bigger. But Jesus needs to transform those he called into people committed to the message and committed to the ministry. He's inviting them to leave family so that he can give them a bigger family. You realize that? That when you become a disciple of Jesus, some people are, are called to abandon home, to abandon everything. But in that abandoning, he would give them a larger family. Remember in Mark where his mother and brothers and sisters come to try and stop him? And he says, who is my mother and who's my brother and who's my sister? But everyone who does the will of my father. All of a sudden, Jesus is inviting them to a much larger and greater family. A family that extends from the first century all the way to the day that Jesus Christ comes and beyond. We're going to be part of a huge family of believers. All who put their faith in Jesus. Different languages, different faces, different tongues, different tribes, different times. We would sometimes are called to abandon the local so that we can be part of the larger to let go of something that we're grabbing onto so that he can give us something we will never be able to grab onto. And Jesus, in a way, is calling them to give up fishing fish so that they can have a life of significance, catching people and bringing them for eternity in the kingdom. In my personal life, I can tell you, I was a banker before I was a priest. I thought my life was always going to be banking. I loved the banking industry. I was good at it. I started working uh, for a local bank, Bank of America, as a teller. And very quickly, in about eight years that I stayed in the bank, I became a branch manager, a loan officer, with portfolio of over a million dollars that I could give loans uh, based on my name alone, my signature alone. And I thought that was my career. I loved what I was doing. And then the Lord 
I don't know how or when, but by me reading scripture and being part of, a, of my, my local church and hearing my pastor and being in a Bible study, I fell in love with God like a ton of bricks. I fell in love with him to the point where it, it got to the point where all I wanted to do was be in church and volunteer to do this, and volunteer to be in the altar, and volunteer when my priest went on vacation, I was the preacher, and all I wanted to do was that, and the first job I had was to convince my wife. <laughs> to convince her that she could be married to a priest, which is something that generally don't happen. And the Lord orchestrated things in a way that he called me to a life that is different, to a life where it's not about... You see, one of the things I said to my wife in, in trying to convince her, I said, you know, as a branch manager, once a month I surprised the whole office by calling a count day. And that day we count every penny in the branch, every penny in, in, the, in the teller's boxes, every penny in the, in the vault, and we count everything so that we know that no money has disappeared. And I would surprise the branch, and I would say to my wife, you know, today I called a surprise count and we counted everything, but I was counting somebody else's money. I was so aware that I'm all of these sometimes hundred, five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars, it was always somebody else's because it wasn't mine. And I would say to her, but if I get to serve the Lord, my treasure is gonna be in heaven, and that one's gonna be mine. Amen. That one's gonna be mine, and nobody's gonna take it from me. It is secure in my father's hands, and whatever effort I put in the ministry, the Lord is keeping my deposit. The Lord is keeping it. And all I want to do is dedicate my life to bringing others into the kingdom. I want my life not to be accounting somebody else's money, but I want my life to be such that when you and I meet in heaven, you might say, this guy, this guy got me here. I want you to know that eternity is what we do. Our business is the eternal souls and the eternal life of people. That's why we are called into the ministry, not to fish fish, not to be focused on earthly things, but to be focused on the fact that what we're offering people is eternal life forever and ever and ever in the presence of the living God, and no one will ever steal that that is yours in the presence of God. And I think Peter and John and James and, and Andrew got a glimpse of that. And some of us, I mean, this preaching is for everybody. Repentance and belief is for everybody. It's the only way in the kingdom. But then he will call some of you, and in fact, he calls all of you to join the work of the kingdom and to follow Jesus. Every single one of you that accepts the call, accepts the call to be a kingdom person. And, and the call, the call is something that is kind of specific. This is for everybody, but the call is for you. 
And God knows what you can offer. And he will call you according to your gift and according to your ability. But he calls you. He calls you to be part of something more significant than your normal, everyday, routine, jobs, and life. He calls you to be a kingdom preacher, a kingdom sharer, one who brings people into the kingdom of God. To bring people under the rule of God. And then when he calls his disciples, he tells them this. In Mark 3, 14, 16, he says, Their call is that they might be with him. Personal relationship. That they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. The same kind of stuff that Jesus was doing is what he gives them to do. Now, let me tell you this. This wasn't even in my sermons. This is a conversation I kind of overheard this morning among some of you. Someone saw uh, one of our members who's lost a lot of weight. And, and they said, what are you doing? What, uh, what are you doing? Are you still doing that diet or are you still exercising? What are you doing? Oh, yeah, I'm sticking to it. And, and he's looking great. And I was thinking, what if people asked you, what if your Christianity became as evident as when you lose weight? What if your Christianity becomes as evident and as clearly to see as when you lose weight? Because when we see people that lose weight, we say, how did you do it? Show me. What if your Christianity was so evident, so clear to see, so wonderful to see, that people say, show me how you got that? You see, that's what called is, to be called into the kingdom and to be called to show people that we do the same stuff that Jesus does. That we preach the same message that Jesus does. And when people say, how did you get that? We say, come and see. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Because I'm convinced that he's the Messiah. That he's the Son of God. That he's the Lord. You see, some people, and not everyone is called to leave everything. Let's, let's just put it that way. Not everyone is called to leave their occupation and to leave their family. But every disciple of Jesus is called to use their occupation. And with the help of their family, to be a disciple of Jesus that brings people into the kingdom. Not every one of us is called to leave family and job and everything. But every one of us is called to use what you already have. What is your skill? What do you know how to do? What are you working on in the secular job that you can turn over to the kingdom work? What is it that you can do? Are you a good teacher? Are you a great teacher? Please start teaching the kingdom of God. Find a place in your church to start teaching. If that's your gift, use it. Are you an accountant? Are you a numbers person? Please use that for the kingdom of God. 
Are you a good carpenter? Use it for the skill. Use that skill. Whatever your skill is, are you an exhorter? Are you a person that makes people feel good? There's enough people in this world that need to feel good. Use it and bring people into the kingdom. Are you an encourager? Has the Lord blessed your, your, you with a lot of money? Use it to help the poor. Use it to help the ministry of Jesus. What is in your pocket? What is in your heart? How are you making a living that you don't have to leave your family and your home and everything, but you can still use it? You can still use it as a disciple. I didn't have to leave my home. I did leave my job, but I didn't have to leave my family. I mean, my family has been the greatest support to me in my ministry. And you don't have to leave everything. Now, there are some people who are called to leave everything. Family and home. And we have a couple of missionaries here probably that can tell you what it means uh, to, to just leave everything and go to do the work of the kingdom. There are some people that are sent into many dangerous areas and they're willing to leave everything. So some people are asked indeed to leave everything, family and boat and everything, to go do the work of the kingdom. But most of us are not asked to, to leave everything, but we're called to use everything and to make kingdom living and kingdom work a priority in our lives. To make it a priority in our lives. What can you do what can you do? What do you do? What are you good at? What did you make a living? Even if you retired, what did you do in your secular life that made you a prosperous person that allowed you to raise a family? What did you do? What can you do? Use that still for the kingdom of God. So the original message of Jesus, the preaching was for everybody, but then he calls individuals and puts them to work in kingdom living and in kingdom preaching and in kingdom healing and manifesting the presence of the living God. I want to show you one more slide. Jesus said at the end of Matthew 8:28, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. A lot of people forget that, that verse. It's an important verse. Jesus has all the authority to send you. If you are his disciple, you're not a volunteer. You're a disciple. You're a servant. And Jesus has all the authority in heaven and on earth. And he says, with that authority, I say to you, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you and look, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, what part of this don't you understand? What part of this command of Jesus, this commission of Jesus, is too hard to understand? Go and make other followers. Go and make disciples of Jesus. Go and bring others into the kingdom and then baptize them and then keep teaching them and teaching them and teaching them until everything that Jesus has asked that we learn, we have learned. 
That is the work of the church. I want to ask you again, are you a disciple that is called? And what are you called to? You need to pray about it. You need to realize, are you convinced, first of all, that Jesus is the Lord? Because if you're not convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, if you're not convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, no amount of calling is going to move you from your pew. But if you're convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, if you're convinced that He is Messiah, that He is the Savior of the world, don't keep it to yourself. Live your life in such a way that others will notice and come and invite people to join the kingdom of God for their salvation for all eternity, and you would have done the work of a disciple. Don't wear your Christianity on Sunday mornings. Don't go home now. Put it in the closet until next Sunday. We have to wear it every day. It has to be visible every day. And when people say, what do you have? You say, come and see. I'll tell you all about the kingdom of God. I'll tell you all about my friend Jesus. He can save. He heals. Jesus is almighty. Jesus is the son of God. And he makes all things well. That is the calling of these disciples. And that is your calling. There's a general calling to repent and to believe. But there is the calling he gives his disciples to go and fish men and women and children. Catch them in the net of the love of God. Bring them into the kingdom that they might know eternity, salvation, and a love that is beyond this world. You got it? Amen. Amen. Stand with me, please.